Boker Tov, everyone. Shalom. Welcome to our special edition of the Aliyah Day. This is uh, Shavuot Insights into the Yom Tov. It's already episode three. Can you believe it? It's already episode three as we are working our uh, way to Shavuot, which is coming up this Thursday evening is Erev Shavuot. Friday is Shavuot itself. Shabbat is the Shabbat, and life is going to be good. I'm glad you're with me. It's a beautiful day. It's a wonderful day. Hope everybody is being renewed and refreshed and drawing closer to Hashem. And Hashem is speaking to your heart this morning and trying to guide you and trying to lead you. Uh, as I know, He's trying to guide me and trying to lead me towards His precious truth. And so, may God heal us. May God uh, help us to become whole. Uh, may God renew us. Baruch Hashem. Shavuot, the day that we celebrate the giving of the Torah. The uh, the day that is uh, the conclusion, if you will, the 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 crescendo, the point of freedom. We call the um, festival of Passover uh, the festival of freedom, and Shavuot is the point to that freedom. It's the reason we have the freedom. It's the reason why we were set free. It's like I've said uh, multiple times in the last couple days that. Hashem had Moses tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can um, worship me on this mountain. So they can worship me on this mountain. Let my people go so that they can worship me on this mountain. The whole point of letting the people go was so that they could come to the mountain of God and worship. What does it mean to worship, therefore? If we look at that, that uh, statement, it's also a very interesting statement. God's idea of worship is uh, keeping the Torah of Hashem. God says, I want you to come and worship me on this mountain. Many people, if you if you ask the average person, by the way, welcome everybody. There's so many people who are here gathering already from, from the far corners of, uh, of the universe, the far corners of uh, Los Estados Unidos, uh, and across the world. So we are glad you are here. But if you ask the average person, you know, what does it mean to worship God? I would only imagine that you would get all types of, of uh, answers to that. That there would be people who would say all kinds of various things with respect to what it means to worship God. Some would include worship, uh, music, I should say. Some might include dance. Some might include uh, some other type of ritual. And, but I don't think that many people, most likely, I don't think that many people would say to worship God is to obey his word. To worship God is to obey the commandments. Um, I don't think that a lot of people would say that. But that is, in fact, what God's definition of worship is. God's definition of worship uh, is, is obedience. God's definition of worship um, is, you know... Uh, you know, the the idea of what God has to say is that when you worship me, it's because you are following my Torah. Isn't that interesting? I think it gives a whole new perspective because sometimes we can be worshiping God, whether we're singing to him or even praying to him and or even a, a, offering sacrifices, and God uh, is not accepting it because our hearts are not following his word. He says this, by the way, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 1, which is a very uh, poignant um, 
display of what I mean, where God says, listen, I'm sick of your festivals. I'm sick of your offerings. I'm sick of all of this stuff. Why? Because you're not, you know, you're not following my word. You're not obeying my Torah. You're bringing the sacrifices. You're doing the dance. You're singing the songs. But otherwise, you're not really following me. And it's interesting because Hashem talks about your sacrifices, your new moons, your festivals. And one could say, hey, wait a minute. You commanded the sacrifices. You commanded the festivals. You commanded the new moons. Why you? Why are you saying that they're mine? That this is what you told me to do. And Hashem's response to that is, well, as long as your heart is not really for me, if as long as your heart, as long as you're you're not really following my word, you're not really being true to my Torah, then all of this is yours. But but the moment at which. Uh, you start to follow my word and do what I've asked you to do and be a true person, not a hypocrite, not a liar, not a phony. But then when you do that, then this becomes mine again. So Shavuot, Shavuot is a point. It's a point of worship. It's where we come to Hashem and we receive his word. It's where slaves become kings. It's where uh, servants become ministers. It's, uh, it's, it's a place where people in bondage become people who release others from bondage. It's a place where we go from the mire clit, uh, pits of clay to and, and making bricks to the place where we are spreading the good news of, of Hashem all over the world. It's where we become a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is Shavuot. This is what it means. It's perhaps, as I said yesterday in the commentary, it's perhaps the most important of all the holidays. Why? Because without the Torah, we have nothing. Which is something else we need to ponder. Without the Torah, we have nothing. Without the Torah, there is nothing. There is there is absolutely nothing. So it says here in Seifus Amos, I'm going to read some insights here. From the time of the giving of the Torah, he writes, This is one of the names of this holiday. Zeman Matan Toratenu, the time of the giving of the Torah. Zaman, the time, Matan, of the giving. Toratenu. This phrase can be understood to refer not only to the historical event that occurred at Mount Sinai, but also to the re giving of the Torah we still experience every year. This is, as I've said before, the beauty of biblical holidays, Jewish holidays, that we get to experience the same Kedusha. We get to experience the same, well, experience every year. In this case, we get to experience the giving of the Torah anew. It says, likewise, preparation for receiving the Torah repeated itself every year. We see this also in the opening phrase, or excuse me, the opening verse of the day's Torah reading. Bayom Haze Bahul Midbar Sinai. It says, On this day they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. Every year on this day we renew our acceptance of the Torah. Ideally, a Jew should be prepared to receive the Torah anew every day of the year, he writes. All we need to do is strip away the veneer of materialism. To allow the spiritual core to shine through in the period before Shavuot, the Jews were told to wash their clothing, 
Clothing, it says here, is an external garb, and thus washing it is an act that symbolizes purification, the connection with the material world, a procedure we need to engage in every year. So we can take the same steps. What it's saying here is because we're at Shavuot, we are going to literally, literally re-receive, as it were, the Torah and reaffirm our commitment to it and reconnect to it because that is literally going to happen. It's not just a commemoration of an event, but we're going to be operating in the same Kedusha that, that happened at Mount Sinai all those many centuries ago that we can prepare for it in the same way. And I think that one of the ways in which we can do that is is uh, go to the mikvah is one way, that we can wash our clothes, prepare fresh garments to put on as we're preparing to, to, to sit down at the Erev Shavuot table and come to the, to the uh, Erev Shavuot all-night Torah study and then later the next day coming to to the Minka or perhaps Shakarit or what have you. But we can we can prepare ourselves <clears throat> to receive God's living Torah just like we did back in those days. I mentioned, I think it was yesterday, that Shavuot is the Atzeret, like Shimoni Atzeret, of Passover. And there's a, uh, a another insight here from Seifus uh, Aimes, really great insights to to the Atzeret. And so let's we're going to explore with him this word Atzeret and how it applies to Shavuot as we're getting our perspective on on this particular holiday. It says in rabbinic literature, Shavuot is most frequently called Atzeret. Isn't that interesting? In rabbinic literature, Shavuot is referred to most often as Atzeret. Why? Because the rabbis understood, for one thing, that it was the conclusion. It was the thing to which um, uh, Passover pointed. And so it says here, in rabbinic literature, Shavuot is most frequently referred to as as at Zeret. And it says here, um, this ambiguous word may refer to the acceptance of Adonai's sovereignty by the Jewish people that first began on Shavuot. In Samuel 1, 9, 17, it says, we find this word used to mean rule. Ze Yatzor Be'ami. This one will rule over my people. Thus, the name Atzeret may refer to our acknowledgement of Hashem as our supreme monarch on Shavuot. So interestingly, just as we crown Hashem king on, on Rosh Hashanah, we really do so again on Shavuot, or we do so, I should, should say, initially on Shavuot as we're crowning the Torah, which is one and the same with God, as king of our life. We make God our monarch by making the Torah our ruler, if you will. It goes on to say, more commonly though, the word Atzeret is understood to mean ingathering. As we have said, Shavuot is the most beloved of the festivals, and as since then, all the others gather and cluster around Shavuot, the day of the giving of the Torah, the high point of human history. Perhaps this is why Yeshua said, 
When the sun is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. We're going to gather around Yeshua. Why? Because he is the living Torah. And everything gathers around the living Torah. We gather around uh, this uh, festival because it's the source of everything. It says, furthermore, it is a day of engathering for Jews, a day to join together in reaffirming their ties to Adonai that were so dramatically forged at Sinai that this link between Hashem and the Jewish people began on Shavuot. It says, another reason the holiday is called Atzeret. So this is what we're doing. We are gathering around. Sefes Amos goes on to say, the name Atzeret also suggests the word Otzar. Otzar, that is storehouse. Or treasure chest. The Torah is a treasure chest for the people of Israel. I know this is uh, just as an aside, but um, the Gentiles, the 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 uh, uh, the Gentile people, you know, the the people of the church, um, they are under this impression because of what they've been taught to believe about the Torah that it's somehow a burden or it's or or that it's it's really really difficult and and not doable, right? You you've you've probably heard that. You, at one point in your life, you may have believed that. Um, I know at some point in my life, I did, because because I was brainwashed into believing that nobody could keep the law. The law was so hard. It was just, oh, I mean, wow. I mean, who could? I mean, wearing seat seat and um, eating kosher and you know, observing the laws of Nida and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's an, it's impossible. Who could do that? I mean, who could, who could go without eating shrimp? I mean, really, it's just crazy, right? It's just, we, we were taught to believe that nobody keeps the law. It's the burden. We, we were, what we were taught then subconsciously was that the word of God is too hard. The word of God is too difficult. It's too challenging and we shouldn't even try. And then we wonder why nobody wants to live by the Word of God. It's kind of like when we teach our children to write letters to Santa Claus or to ask Santa for gifts, right? And we're actually teaching them to pray to someone for something. And then we wonder why later in life they don't want to pray to God or they have trouble with that whole concept because we've been teaching them to pray to another deity uh, most of their, most of their most, Im- most of during their during their most impressionable years. Let me rephrase that. During their most impressionable years, we've been training them to pray to the god of Odin. That's uh, the god Odin. That's that's who Santa Claus was originally, actually, to give them something. So hey, what do you really really want most of all? Well, I really really want a bicycle most of all. That's really what you want, little Johnny, little Susie. Oh yeah, I want a bicycle. That that's what means the most. Well, just ask Santa for it. So we do these things, and we think it's cute, but we're subconsciously training our children to uh, to believe a certain way. So when we, when we teach people that the Torah is not doable. Then uh, we're teaching them that, in fact, um, the word of God is not doable. So then later in life, it's like, well, why even bother? I can't live out, live up to the standard. And so the Gentiles um, believed that Jews, when they were told 
that, hey, you know what? Uh, JC has come and you can jettison the law. They thought that we would just be ecstatic. They thought that we would say, oh, goodness, finally, finally, we don't have to do this anymore. Which, by the way, think about this for a second. Let's just use logic. Um, we would say we don't have to do this any, anymore, but your theology says no one can do it anyway. So why are we still doing it? If we can't do it, then why are we still doing it? In other words, when you showed up to tell me the good news that JC did away with it, I should have said, oh, pfft, honey, I haven't been doing the law for decades. I realized a long time ago it wasn't doable. I haven't even been trying. So it's not you. So your, your, your gospel good news is kind of like, uh, that's so yesterday. That's so 20th century. I mean, really, think about it for a second. That... Um, <laughs> that's exact. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, does it at all? Like if we can't do it, why would we still be doing it? But anyway, I digress. So people show up and they thought they showed up at our door with their little, you know, uh, the Roman road track. And they thought we would say, that's awesome. Thank you so much. But that they didn't realize is that Judaism and Jews have always believed that the Torah was a treasure chest. And so, no, I'm not going to get rid of my treasure chest. No, I'm not going to jettison the Torah. In fact, the, door, the Torah is our very identity. Without the Torah, who are we? In fact, without the Torah, we don't even have Mashiach, because the Torah includes the oral Torah. So without the Torah, we don't, we don't even have Mashiach. So how can you come along and say that the Messiah has done away with the Torah, when without the Torah, you wouldn't even have the Mashiach concept? But who has time for logic, right? We, we live in an emotional world. We live in a world these days, I can't, I mean, wow, where irrational fear rules the day. That, um, well, it's just, it's sad. It's sad. We've, we've, we've fallen so far in our lack of logic that common sense could be staring you right in the face and saying, don't have irrational fear, and we choose it. It's crazy. But anyway, it says, In this sense, we can say that Shavuot is the day that Hashem's spiritual treasures were removed from his storehouse and bestowed on the Jewish people after being rejected by the other nations. This is the fulfillment of the promise made by, to Abraham after the Akedah, and your offspring shall inherit the gates of of its enemy. So the promise given to Abraham was that we're going to inherit the Torah. Um, by the way, just as an aside, <clears throat> an aside to the aside, I want to speak for a moment just briefly on the irrational fear thing. Um, I said early on when we, when we were, um, very early on when we did the shutdown for COVID, uh, back then, uh, everybody thought, everybody, that is the experts, the people that are in the business, virology, microbiology, um, what are all the other fancy names are for that kind of stuff. Um, they all thought that there were going to be millions upon millions of people dead in the United States. And so it was a national crisis. We didn't know anything about COVID. The Chinese weren't, were lying to us. They created it or whatever. 
Um, we didn't know what it was. And so everybody thought this was really bad. So we went into shutdown. Okay. And back then I said, hey, you know what? It's all right. Let's do this. This is like in World War II when we did national blackouts because there was uh, there was the, the uh, Japanese, not just their Air Force, but also their Navy. And then the same thing with the Germans. They could potentially bomb our coastal cities. And so, and, and in fact, they tried. Uh, so we're going to do blackouts. We're going to do mandatory uh, curfews. We're going to do rationing of supplies because why? Because we're at war. The whole point is to win the war, right? So we take upon ourselves some national inconveniences. Bars were shut down at a certain time. There was things that happened during World War II in order to defeat the Japanese and the Germans, right? So that they couldn't <clears throat> bomb us. They couldn't um, hurt us. And so we took upon ourselves willingly those those things for the good okay that that was back then when covid was was you know millions of people were going to die and they were estimating upwards of two million people dead hospitals overwhelmed or what have you well it turns out the hospitals never at any time ever anywhere to include new york were ever overwhelmed we have a lot of people dead and it's terrible there's like but it's still under a hundred thousand people so it's very very it's nowhere near not even remotely close to what they thought so, and then by the way, all the social distancing, all the wearing, all, well, initially they said, don't wear a mask. Why? Because masks don't work at all. And then they later said to go ahead and wear masks. Why? Because they're just trying to placate people actually, because they still don't work. But um, all of this happened and the whole purpose was so we don't overwhelm the hospitals. Okay. Well, the hospitals are no longer overwhelmed. They never were overwhelmed. Um, so irrational fear would, to take the analogy of World War II, would be that after the war, many years after the war, we still have blackouts and, and curfews and rationing. Japan is defeated, Germany is defeated, and we're still blackening out our, our coast. Because we're afraid, irrationally, that somebody, somewhere, at some point, is going to bomb us. Okay, it should be emphasized, going back to Sebus MS, it should be emphasized, however, that our acceptance of the Torah was never intended to disenfranchise the rest of the world from access to this spiritual heritage. On the contrary, throughout the Omer period leading up to Shavuot, we plead that all, say all, all of humanity be granted the wisdom to forsake the materialistic domination of their existence and embrace Hashem's spirituality. Indeed, as explained earlier, this day is called Atzeret because it represents the hope that all, say all, all humans will be gathered in under the embrace of Torah ideals. It is appropriate that the spiritual journeys of both Ruth and, and Yitro to Judaism occurred during the Omer period, which was a favorable time for the ingathering of the sparks of holiness. Um, I also want to point out, as I pointed out when we got to this point in um, the book of Exodus, that the, the very parasha that talks about the giving of the Torah is named after Jethro, named after Yitro who was the, one of the quintessential converts to Judaism. 
then it's saying here that Yitro and Ruth both became converts during the season of the counting of the Omer. And furthermore, during Shavuot, it is customary to read the book of Ruth. And so we're learning here in this, this insight from Sefisayim is that this, the name of this, this portion, or excuse me, the name of this holiday as Atzeret is to teach us a valuable lesson that the world should not be disenfranchised of the Torah. On the contrary, we should be utilizing the Torah to try to encourage as many Jethro's and as many Ruth's as we can to embrace the covenant. As it says here, this is a favorable time for the ingathering of the sparks of holiness. And in fact, you know, we talk about Ruth, we talk about Jethro, but let's not forget that there was a mixed multitude standing at Mount Sinai with the rest of the Jews. And they outnumbered the natural-born Israelites by a substantial margin. So there again, we have a connection, a direct connection between this holiday and the ingathering of Holy Sparks. So it says, according to this approach, the name Atzeret may have the meaning of negation. On Shabbat, the entire material world became nullified when the awesome presence of Adonai revealed the seven heavens and showed that nothing else existed apart from him. As this Torah says, Ein old milvado, devarim, that is Deuteronomy 4.35. There is nothing aside from him. It says, this may explain why both Shavuot and Shemini Atzeret are called Atzeret. On, the Sha- on Shavuot, the Jewish people negated itself to Adonai, as shown by the fact that the sages represent the people, representing the people, called the day Atzeret. On Shemini Atzeret, a reverse of negation occurs. Hashem tells Israel, Atzeret tiyeh lechem, it shall be an Atzeret for you. Only Israel matters to me, and the rest of the world is uh, is, is uh, subsequent to Israel. So this is a, this is a holiday, uh, among other things, is a holiday in which we, we experience negation, where we, we come to the realization that everything that exists, exists because of Hashem and His Holy Torah. It all comes down to that. Nothing else matters than that. Isn't it any wonder then why the enemy of our souls wants to get Torah out of our life? The reason that the enemy of our souls wants to get Torah out of our life is because it's ain old milvado. If you have Torah in your life, then what you have is the realization that there's nothing but Hashem. So then Hashem becomes your focus. If you have Torah in your life, He becomes your everything. He becomes your reality. He becomes... um, uh, that realization that there's nothing but him, there's no, there's no other being, right? You're not, you're, you, you don't get uh, caught up uh, rebuking the devil all the, all the time, for instance, or, or praying to uh, Santa Claus for, uh, for your gift, those kinds of things. Uh, it, 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 by the way, um, not to get off on the Santa Claus thing, but it just, it just popped in my mind that. Many people encourage their children to 
write letters to to Santa. And, you know, the post office receives, t- I mean, I would imagine tens of thousands of letters during that, that season. And yet we can't even get our children to journal and, 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 and write write prayers to Hashem. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, but anyway, so one more insight here, a time of our freedom. It says, most surprisingly, Shavuot can be called Zeman Herutenu, the time of our freedom, a name that's usually associated with Pesach. Nevertheless, Shavuot can also be thought of as a time of liberation where the Jews obtained physical freedom on Pesach. They did not achieve true freedom. Uh, spiritual freedom until Sinai when the exodus from Egypt reached its true fruition. So this is interesting. Contrary, the, the exact opposite about Torah is true as opposed to what we what you have likely been taught your entire life. What you've been taught your entire life most likely is that the law of Moses was legalism, was bondage, uh, was a burden, But in reality, in Judaism and in the Torah, the law of Moses is taught that this is true freedom. A Torah life is what true freedom looks like. This is why Yeshua said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. So it says, as the Messiah says, you, or excuse me, Mishnah, Messiah. As the Mishnah says in Avot 6.2, you can have no freer man than one who engages in the study of the Torah. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. We are out of time, but not out of content. We'll be back tomorrow with God's help for the fourth episode of our Shavuot series, Insights into the Yom Tov. Until we meet again, I pray that you have a blessed day, a peaceful day, a joyful day, and a day of transformation as we are cleansing our souls in preparation to come before Hashem and receive His Holy Torah anew. Shalom Aleichem, we'll see you tomorrow.